Hey everyone, Emma here. Uh, just wanted to give a little bit of a preview for this uh, episode. We are joined with our uh, good friend and a guest, a previous guest on the, the show. Uh, we're joined with Madison, who is uh, joining us in dialogue today about how can we live out being a pro-life people, uh, particularly in this month of June and uh, embracing the sacred heart and human dignity. And so we walk through some different topics and uh, ways in which we can dialogue with others about being pro-life, uh, particularly on the topics of abortion and, and how can we promote life, right? And talk about uh, life of a baby. And so I just wanted to to throw this out as kind of a uh, an intro because it may be a sensitive topic for some people. And so uh, just as a, a little bit of a heads up of what we will be discussing. It is a lengthy dialogue. It's a lengthy conversation. It's uh, a beautiful conversation. We're very grateful that she joined us, but just wanted to provide a little bit of a, a heads up. I did hit record, didn't I? Yes, I did. It's recording. Minute 23. Okay. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Okay. Um, so a little bit of a... Uh, change of pace here because uh, we just had to make a last minute change to our um, who is all going to be joining us for this episode. But we have a beautiful guest with us. Uh, Madison Velez is back with us uh, for another episode. And um, yeah, we have a little baby Yoda sitting on the table. But apparently, Madison, you've never seen Star Wars or you don't like Star Wars. What's the I can't really say I don't like it because I have never seen any of the movies. I'm sure I've seen bits and pieces of it, and I've definitely seen pictures of Baby Yoda, so I can appreciate it, um, but I've never never seen it before. It's, prob- it's probably a little concerning the number of Star Wars things I have in my office. I have, uh, I think my friend got me this one. It's supposed to be like a stuffed Baby Yoda Christmas tree ornament. I think it's what this is. I don't know. I mean, it would hang it on a tree or something. And then I have this one that talks like, hey, you probably can't hear this in the microphone. But anyways, and then what do I say? I got, oh, maybe I don't have anything. I have a little tiny Mylar balloon up there of a Star Wars thing. And yeah, I have a lightsaber at home. Anyways, so uh, yeah, we got to get you caught up to date with Star Wars. You can come over and watch it. I have all the movies. Well, I, 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 I stole the movies. I didn't steal the movies. I borrowed the movies from my parents um, because I was like, Mom, I really want to watch these. And then she was like, well, do you have our Harry Potter movies? And, okay, she didn't sound like that, but I just needed to distinguish between our voices, right? And I was like, no, I don't have the Harry Potter movies, even though my aunt in Wisconsin would like to watch them. And then I go back to my apartment and I look with all my DVDs and lo and behold, I do have all of the Harry Potter movies. And now I have all of the Star Wars movies for the 20th time that I'll watch them. So anyways, uh, little banter writes about our baby Yoda that is currently just sitting in front of us because he's so cute. I, he had a water gun the other day. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, so uh, this episode um, might be, I just want to put a little bit of a preface out there. Uh, it may not necessarily be... Uh, something for younger kids per se. Uh, So we will be talking about uh, abortion. Um, So something that uh, Madison is, uh, I would say, just really focused on and really feels a heart for is uh, how do we uh, educate others about abortion, um, but also just how do we uh, walk with people who maybe have unplanned pregnancies or crisis pregnancies 
um, et cetera. So part of what she's involved in is the Hopeful Future Scholarship. So she can explain a little bit about that. But then also just I kind of want to let her loose and just how do we uh, share with others and, and how can we point people to uh, light in the truth and the beauty of life and, and God-ordained dignity. And so, it's, like I said, it might be a little bit of a heavier episode, uh, but we think and we feel through prayer that this is something vitally important, especially in the month of June, that we are uh, embracing this opportunity to um, to refocus on the sacred heart of Jesus. So, uh, with that, and, and Madison, I think this is, this is the similar presentation that you shared with my kids for youth ministry. Great. So that was a solid, solid um, um, presentation. So without further ado, I'm just going to let her just kind of go loose with this. So yes, like Emma said, I have definitely a heart for the the pro-life movement. That's just been my focus for really a, a long time. I think when I first learned what abortion was when I was younger, it was naturally very shocking to me. Um, and very disturbing that this was something that was somehow accepted by our culture. And and obviously that's gotten significantly worse since then in the last 10, 15 years that um, is something that is now celebrated in our culture. So um, when I started college, I became involved with an organization called Protect Life Michigan, and they have different organizations per college in Michigan. Um, so the vast majority of universities have an organization like this. And so um, at my school, Saginaw Valley State University, we have one of these chapters or groups. Um, So what we do is we will have meetings, learn about apologetics, how we can talk to people, ideally engage the culture, how we can go about doing that in an effective and compassionate way. Um, And then we set up what we call different outreach events where we have some sort of thought-provoking display um, so we can kind of get people's attention and then have conversations from there, um, find out what common ground we have with people, which is usually a lot more than you would think, um, and then build from that and hopefully get them to to change their mind if possible. Um, so that's at least our mission. Um, and then Emma also said that I am a part of an organization called the Hopeful Future Scholarship. That's actually an endowment fund um, run through the Catholic Community Foundation of Mid-Michigan um, and that fund is used to financially assist pregnant and or parenting students currently just at um, SVSU and Delta here in Saginaw. But we hope to expand that to to more colleges. And and the thought behind that is we know through um, the Guttmacher Institute, which is by no means a pro-life organization, um, their statistics have shown that the vast majority of women who are, are getting abortions are college-age women. And a lot of them are in college. Um, and the the vast majority of them reported that the reason why they would get abortions is due to financial need, um, that they felt that they were not in a financially stable enough place to um, continue their pregnancy and give birth and become mothers. So um, that's kind of our thought process if we can respond to kind of that need um, to the people who are, are struggling the most, but we're, we're very open to helping women however we can. Um, and so we try to connect them with other resources and working closely with a local crisis pregnancy center here in the Tri-City area, actually. Um, they have locations in Bay City, Midland, and Saginaw called Life Clinic. So we're trying to kind of find more holistic ways that we can address all of the issues that women are facing and not just the financial aspect, because sometimes that's less of a problem, but if they don't have the support they need to actually care for their child and financial need may not be the most help to them. So we try to find ways that we can 
very practically help them um, make choosing life as easy as possible. So, uh, so financial need, right, with the the hopeful future scholarship. But are there what are some other resources? So whether they're uh, whether there's other scholarship type of things or the other organizations that would help maybe even with the physical needs, right? So maybe are there places that could help with housing, right? Um, or providing, you know, food or other things that uh, maybe they need, you know, like I'm thinking diapers or other clothes or whatever. Um, are there other organizations locally, right? Or even that maybe across Michigan that would help uh, those who, who are in need in this situation? Yes, exactly. Because, yeah, like we were just saying that financial need isn't always the biggest need. And that's only one aspect of, you know, a a lot of stressors that women can face in those situations. So um, crisis pregnancy centers like Life Clinic do a lot of that. So they will offer parenting classes. Um, they will offer free ultrasounds. They will offer things like clothing, formula, diapers um, in exchange for going through these parenting classes. So it's kind of that incentive to to keep learning and um, making sure that these women can feel as prepared as possible for both their pregnancy and uh, labor delivery and after as well. So it's a little bit about the Hopeful Future Scholarship. And uh, we were blessed. I think we, this might have been on an episode. You mentioned it you know, when you were on before about the benefit dinner uh, that took place a few weeks ago. It was a beautiful opportunity to hear um, just a, a testimony. Actually, Mary Kate was one of the speakers to, to hear what is it like to be a mother and the challenges and the beauty uh, that goes with that. And she actually was uh, going to join us for this recording and then had an emergency with one of her kiddos. Um, it'll be fine. It's fine. Just, you know, mom life, right? Uh, things change. And so uh, it was a really beautiful opportunity to just hear uh, her journey with being as being a mother. We also heard from Lori Drake uh, from Life Clinic. Is that correct? Uh, just sharing some um, beautiful opportunities. So Madison and uh, Matt Bartels did a beautiful job uh, putting on this uh, wonderful benefit dinner. And I know that I enjoyed it. It was a beautiful evening just to fellowship with one another and to support the gift of life. And so uh, speaking of the gift of life, um, the month of June that we celebrate is the month of the Sacred Heart, right? And I always think of life. When you think of Sacred Heart, right, you think of life, right? Because it's the heart that gives life. And so obviously, uh, we know that Pride Month is is a very real thing uh, and the secular world, right? And so, uh, it's during this month that we usually hear of these other agendas being pushed or supported, right? Especially women's choices, um, you know, my body, my choice type of thing. Uh, and we also hear things about abortion, right? And so, how do we uh, how do we speak with one another? How do we encourage people, right, to, to choose life, right, and to choose the gift of life? And I know you also have resources. You have however many resources. <laughs> you have a lot of resources. You can you you can share the number of resources that you have uh, listed in this this PowerPoint presentation. Um, so, and I just had to, to chuckle when you said that, but it's also beautiful. So, if you could just share with us, like, what are some practical ways in which we can help uh, promote the, the message of life, the gift of life, and and to love people, right? As, as Jesus loves us so much with his sacred heart, how can we love one another and promote a culture of life in, in a society that definitely is not promoting that type of life, right? Absolutely. It can be really hard, especially 
in months like June where there are so many not in this area anyway, um, but different parades and different companies are, you know, promoting this. And so it can be really discouraging um, to see just how far our, our culture has strayed from um, promoting like the family and um, chastity, I guess, um, which I guess suppose it never really was. But in a sense, I think the difference between now and maybe the 1920s is at least it was it wasn't promoted and celebrated i think people recognized that there was something disordered about um, certain behaviors and now um, they are outright celebrated so i think if anything now we have an opportunity where we can actually engage the culture where we can actually talk to people about it because it is so out in the open so i guess that is um Maybe the bright side, <laughs> you know, it's a positive <laughs> right, right, to give it a positive spin. It, yeah, so yeah, I don't know if I, anyone heard that, but Emma just said, with that, we need to know how to engage people. Yes, exactly. Okay, that's good. <laughs> um, and so I think that's really important, and I think the best place to start is having that openness. And I think that a lot of the time when people do get defensive, whether they're tend to be on the pro-life or pro-choice side, it's because we have, we don't know how to defend our views. And so I think we can get rid of a lot of that tension and discomfort by being a little bit more informed um, and understanding why we are pro-life. And I think that was a difficult thing for me for a while in high school anyways, that I knew that the pro-life position made the most sense to me. But I don't know if I could have articulated it well or at least have been comfortable trying, you know. And so that can go a really long way. Um, And so I think it's important to start with when you're talking to someone about abortion, starting about what you mean and what you don't mean by an abortion. So starting out very simply, defining what you mean by abortion, because a lot of the time you can get into these really heated conversations that are really uncomfortable and really difficult. And then come to find out you were on completely different pages about defining certain terms. Um, So that's really important. Try to define your terms, be as clear as possible. So in general, by abortion, we're usually referring to the direct and intentional killing of a fetus in the womb at any stage of pregnancy. And that is typically through oral means. Um, Like oral medication um, is the most common, um, but there are surgical procedures as well for uh, later term abortions. So this can be as early as the day after fertilization or as late as the day of birth, which is very rare. Um, but that does happen in some places of the world. So um, this has been really interesting about as early as the day after fertilization. This is usually a lot harder to talk to people about because it is kind of hard for us to conceptualize a day old zygote, right? Um, and so this is something that actually a lot of our pharmacies are now selling. So you can actually, I was at a CVS in, or was it, I don't know, Southfield. And I always like to look behind the counter because I'm just like curious what's there. And sure enough, there it is. And there's this new one that I keep getting ads for. So the algorithm must be failing. (laughs) They they haven't, my FBI agent hasn't been doing a very good job. Um, (laughs) But so it's, it's becoming very common and it can seem very difficult that this very small zygote that we're recognizing this as a human being with rights. And that can be really difficult, but I think that's important to start there of, okay, what is different about 
a zygote versus like gametes that would be like sperm or eggs. And I actually have had a conversation with someone who legit did not get the difference. Um, and she was a biology major. So that was a little bit concerning. <laughs> so, um, so I guess a little bit of scientific background of what is the difference, right? So obviously a zygote is a fertilized egg, starts out as, as an embryo and then moves on to an, into a zygote. And so the difference between that is we recognize that as a separate organism. So cells make up tissues, make up organs, make up organ systems, make up organisms. And so we recognize that a zygote is not just a single cell. And a lot of people will say that it's just a single cell. Or then they'll say clump of cells, which is an accurate description. Um, But that doesn't mean that they're not a human being with unalienable rights, right? Because we are also just collections of cells um, that make up our bodies. So being clear about some of these terms um, is really important. And I think it's also really important to recognize, and it can be hard even for us as pro-life people to recognize. And I think it's just from an emotional sense that things like chemical abortions, that would be through the use of a pill very early on, um, that would destroy a fetus that wouldn't necessarily look like a baby to the naked eye. Um, but we recognize that they are still human beings like us, um, is no less tragic, right? Because just because they are younger and at a different stage of development, but we can know that they are biologically human and living, um, the end of their life is still tragic. So if we're basing it on their size or what they look like, um, it's really a form of discrimination Um, that we are saying that their death is somehow less tragic. Um, And some people actually say it's, in in a sense, more tragic because they were deprived of even more of their life that they should have been allowed to have. I appreciate that you're defining these terms because I do think that it is very much so, um, you know, it's it's hard for us to uh, grasp the concept of what is like what is life and what is not life, right? Uh, and, and at least having the the opportunity to say, okay, this is what we're looking at. This is not what we're looking at. And it starts to break down those barriers. And I think of any conversation you have with somebody, right? It's good to define like, okay, well, what do you mean by this? And what do I mean by this? And it, like you said, it can take a lot of the defensiveness away. And I find that in our culture, we fail to do this so often, like, and that's, I, I think, I think that's why we've gotten to this point of your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, right? And because ultimately what we're talking about is, well, what is the truth of life, right? So I just, I, I appreciate that, that you're defining these terms because it brings clarity in what we're actually talking about and the severity of it too, right? And that this is a, this truly is a, a, a big issue uh, that we need to be able to discuss. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I think we do feel to do this a lot and I think it would cut out a lot of the tension in our culture and not just about abortion but really any topic um, and so I think a good place to start there's a, a three-step syllogism that is very commonly used in the pro-life world and that starts with number one it's always in, wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being most people can get on board with that pretty pretty easily and then two a fetus in the womb all through nine months of pregnancy is equally as living and human as us. Now, this is going to take a little bit more work. Um, most people will agree that, yes, okay, a fetus is human, right? They, they're made up of human cells, but are they living, right? Like you could have 
a dead person. They're human, but they're not living, right? Um, and so there are, as Emma had mentioned, my I got really frustrated of I would refer to <laughs> talking to people about abortion. Um, I would refer to different studies or different um, scientific articles or something like that because I made sure to read through these, right, and um, found them really fascinating. And people would sometimes more blatantly than others basically accuse me of lying. And I hate that. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is when people don't think I'm telling the truth when I am. If I'm not, then fair. But (laughs) anyway, (laughs) hopefully I am always telling the truth. Anyways, so I did the painstaking work of collecting some of the ones that I was familiar with and a lot that I was not. And I cited 28 different scientific journals or embryology textbooks um, that affirm that life begins at conception and that a zygote um, is, in fact, a living, living organism. Okay, and let me just preface this with, I laughed when you said that that's how many, because listeners out there, she has a Google Doc of like... How a hundred and some pages of famous saint quotes, or just not even nice, like just it's just unreal, right? She was telling me about this document, and then she looked and she's like, Actually, it's like a hundred some pages or something like that. So that's why when I found out that this is how many sources she had, I laughed because <laughs> it, just, it just made sense. But they're all good quotes, um, from saints, so she might have to pull some out, or she continuously adds more to them. <laughs> Exactly. You can never have too many. And then, you know, if you're looking for one in particular, it's all in the same place. It just, it just makes sense. Yeah. The control F feature is a lifesaver. Um, so yeah, so it's important to, to follow that syllogism is really helpful. I think it can cut out a lot of confusion because it is, it can be a really complex topic, but it doesn't have to be. And I think that those three steps in the thought process really help um, simplify a topic that all too often becomes way overcomplicated unnecessarily. Um, And so, right. So, okay. So if we know that they're human, this is the way that I usually take it. If someone disagrees that they are living, right. If we know that they are human, right. Because cats only reproduce more cats, dogs only reproduce more dogs. Right. So it makes sense. They're human cells. And most people aren't arguing that. Kittens are very cute. Yes, that's true, Emma. <laughs> um, and so some people will say, okay, they're human cells, but that doesn't make them a human person, an individual with individual rights, which is a fair thought initially, right? Like if you brush your arm, you're going to have some cells fall off of your, your skin, right? You're going to have, you lose tons of, yeah, it's kind of disturbing to think about how many skin cells that we lose in a day. Um, And those are all human cells, right? But we notice that those don't, they're not the fullness of a human being. They don't direct their own development. And if separated from the body, they will just die and do absolutely nothing. When, when we talk about um, like a human being, right? Uh, In comparison to other creatures, right? So this is the philosophy, metaphysics, uh, in, in theology of what we believe, right? You know, as humans, we have this intellect and will, right? Which sets us apart from other creatures. And so that's where, uh, that's where it, we get this, we get our theology of the body. This is where we get human rights and, and who we are and classifying a person as a person, right? Is because that we have this intellect and will uh, 
you know, free, free, free will and everything that that a creature does not have to the capacity that we do. Uh, and so the, there's a reason why humans are the pinnacle of creation, right? So when you read in Genesis that everything was created prior to humans, and then it was very good once um, man and woman were created. And so when you look in, in especially in the theology and metaphysics and um, philosophy, it's it's because of this intellect and will, right? And especially with this whole AI development coming out right now. Uh, well, it's been out. I'm probably just like, you know, catching up to speed on it because I'm a little bit behind the times. Uh, that there's a reason why like that will never replace a human being and their rights. And if it does... We are in serious trouble, but so just to kind of make also make that distinction too, like when we talk about, um, you know, like a human being, they have like we have say they as if I'm not one, I am one. <laughs> we have we have this intellect and will uh, that that other creatures don't. Right, the cats don't, the dogs don't, that horses don't. I say horses because Madison really likes horses. Uh, so just something to keep in mind as we talk about the the human rights and the gift of life that there's something special about this, right? Absolutely. And I think part of the secular world and one of the problems with it is that they don't necessarily recognize that difference and that that's not to dismiss the value of the lives of animals or something like that. But this is, you know, so we still right, she said same same Francis would be mad. That's very true. He loves animals. And um it's a huge part of our culture and I think that's great. But I think when we're treating animals better than we are people, I think that's an indication that we have a problem. Um, and so another thing that is really important to be careful about is I think sometimes we can be so much on the defensive side when talking to pro-choice people that we start to deny obvious differences about the unborn at any stage in pregnancy with any other person. And so we should be ideally honest about those differences. Um, so for example, I'm saying uh, a lot of people bring up stage of development, right? So that a, a fetus in the womb until they're viable, which we can get into in, in a minute if you want, um, until they're viable, they are completely and totally dependent on their mother's body. Um, and so we recognize, well, yeah, we're kind of all dependent on someone's body, even as an adult, right? Like I'm still dependent on other people to use their body to, you know, stock the grocery store so that I can have food to eat, like even really basic things like that. And so that is a, a good point to bring up that we are all very dependent on one another, but we shouldn't be dismissive of the fact that a fetus is very dependent on one particular person in a very unique way. Um, and so this was something I kind of struggled with and was humbled with a few times, which was good for me. But um, in that I would make this connection in a very strong way. And I think I was probably dismissive of the fact that the dependency of a fetus on one particular woman is very important, right? So a four-year-old is dependent on their mother However, someone else could take care of that child. So she's just dependent on anyone, any adult to take care of that child. But a fetus, we, you can't just transfer a fetus to another woman's uterus. Like you can't do that. That'd be really interesting if we develop that technology. I think that'd be a little scary, but it'd be interesting. Um, <laughs> Emma looks concerned. <laughs> and so um, 
So we don't have that technology. So there's only one particular woman whose body is able to carry that particular fetus. And that is a very unique um, and very extreme form of dependency that a fetus has. And I think we need to be honest about that. And that isn't a defect in the pro-life argument. It's just it's just a reality that we all have to accept. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, and I just, I think that just because they are so dependent on their mother and their mother exclusively during that nine month period, um, that still doesn't justify ending their lives. It also reminds me too, um, you could almost say that it's a form, a very intimate form of communion, right? Uh, I, I think, I mean, okay, listeners will not be surprised that we're going to, we're going to talk about the liturgy for just two seconds here, right? Uh, but the liturgy, it's it, in our faith and what we believe, it's the it's the basis, right? The, the Lex Orandi, the law of our prayer is the bedrock of everything, right? It calls us to communion, like God calls us to communion with one another. And that's what we're created for, right? And in the liturgy, right, in the mass, it's the, that is where we are most ourselves because we are most in communion with one another and then also with God. And so, if we are called to communion with one another, right, and especially, I mean, a, a, a baby in a mother's womb has a very intimate communion with the mother, right? But even once we're born, we're still called to communion in a different way, yeah. right? I, you know, I think of all of the people in which it, 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 it's in my, whether it's in my small circle of influence or my wider circle, um, we're all called to communion in certain ways. And I can't, I cannot fathom disrupting that, right? Um, but I know that that's not the way of, of society. I know that that's a very different way of thinking of things. But perhaps maybe if you're listening to this and just trying to understand like this intimacy, right? Um, and this dependency, you could view it as like, we're called to communion with one another, right? We're called to to being in communion uh, and supporting one another. And, you know, a child in a mother's womb is the the mother supporting and being in communion with the child, um, albeit in a, in a very intimate way that not everybody uh, experiences. Madison just found a quote or something. <laughs> I did. Yes. Emma inspired this. So, um, and I think the point she brought up is really, really huge that there's something very unique and special about the relationship of a mother and her baby and that intimate contact that they have of that. She is literally the only person who can, um, who can take care of that child in that time. And that's a very special thing, but it's also a very serious responsibility. And so it's understandable that a lot of women are are afraid of that. Um, and so it made me think of uh, Dr. Peter Kreeft. He has, a, <laughs> he has a, a really fascinating quote that I've thought of a lot. Um, he says, abortion is the Antichrist demonic parody of the Eucharist. That's why it uses the same holy words. This is my body with the blasphemous opposite meaning. So that's just very interesting that it's like it's an exact because it uses the same exact language, right? Like Christ says to us, this is my body given up for you. And abortion, in effect, is saying this is my body and I'm destroying your body. So it's like it's the complete opposite of I'm going to even though my body was designed for you, I'm going to um, reject that purpose of it. Speaking of that, like we're going to get on a tangent here, just, but I think it's beautiful, you know. And when you just said that, it like my body is designed for this, right? So like a, a woman's body is 
designed for life, right? When we talk about the feminine geniuses, that women are, uh, we are created to receive and give life, right? Whether that's spiritually or biologically, right? Like that is the beauty and nature of a woman's body, right? And like, you see, so you think when, when, when a woman is expecting a child, like that's the woman's body, like living out what she was created for at the highest point, right? To, to grow, to receive, right? Receiving the, the, the nuptial union between with her husband, right? To produce life, co-working with God, right? I mean, because God is the one that infuses the soul to bring about this life. How beautiful it is, is that at that moment of a, a, a woman carrying a child in her womb, is her living like the, the what she's called for, right? Like that's, it's so beautiful that there's this, this idea of, wow, the womb of a mother is giving forth life, right? Just as, as Mary gives forth life to Jesus, right? I love, and we talked about this in the Mary episode where I used the, the phrase, I mean, somebody used it with me, just, you know, Mary gives Jesus his fleshy heart, right? And it's the mother, right? The mother co-working with God, co-working with the, the sperm uh, of her husband, right? They, they gives the fleshy heart of her child, right? Like that just gives life. Like that's what the mother does. This is my body given for you. And in that process, I'm giving you a body like formed in the womb. We could get on a tangent about this, but that just was what I thought of like that. This is what the womb is for this, this place of growth and nourishment, and in realist, real, like just in all reality, that we find ourselves um, in the like against the bosom of our Lord, right? And in the womb of Mary, I th- often think of like we, as a church, grow in the womb of Mary, right? And it just, yeah, we can. I'll go. I'll stop before I just get on a tangent. But that just sparked this this beauty of this is what the woman's body is created for, in a very intimate way. Absolutely. And it's really interesting you bring that up because there is, I follow a handful of really amazing pro-life apologists and I heard of, I think her her maiden name is Gray. So Stephanie Gray, I think, oh, Stephanie Gray Connors is, now she's married. Uh, She is absolutely amazing. And she was talking about, she was in a philosophical argument about abortion. It was a debate, actually like a formal live debate. And she is so good at those. Like she's just it just looks easy for her. I don't know how she does it, but she's awesome. Some Anyways, some people some people are just gifted and she's just like as calm as a cucumber and she's just she's really cool. Anyways, so there was one debate that she was in and apparently someone was making the connection of if someone required a kidney donation in order to survive you would absolutely have the right and you were somehow the only match in the world. So like these, the hypotheticals used are like always very extreme, like impossible hypotheticals, but you know, it's fair. So, um, so say you are the only person who has, is a match for this person's kidney transplant or whatever. You would still well be within your right to say, no, I'm not going to give you your with my kidney um and you would still survive even if you gave the kidney so it's not like it's a life or death matter for you but it is for the other person and i'm sure he articulated it in a much more complex way than that but she was kind of stumped there and she um she said that in that moment she just prayed and was like i 
am about to either be really humbled or God is really going to pull through right now. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> and he did pull through, which was really awesome. And she said what she pointed out was exactly what Emma is getting at here is that the uterus is unique and it's actually unique compared to all other organs. Because if you think about it, the uterus is actually more for other people than it is for the woman herself, right? Like it's actually functions more for the housing of a completely different person than someone else. And so actually there are certain people who, if they're there, they actually have a right to that organ. So really fascinating, fascinating argument that I think was was really cool. And I've definitely thought a lot about that of how it is different than just a kidney transplant or organ donation or something like that, because a lot of times people will will conflate the two. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I never really thought of that. Because you think of any other organ, it's like we basically need it to survive, right? I mean, there's some organs like, like, okay, I, I think of if your sight, right? If you, if you're either blind or you lose your sight, well, like it's, chances are you're not necessarily going to die, right? But there's still the sense of it's, there's, it helps you, right? Function. Um, but speaking of like the, the uterus, right? And uh, I want to go back to the, the topic of the viability, right? And uh, like, obviously there's a certain point in which uh, a baby in development can survive outside of the, the the womb, right? And the house that the uterus provides. And so at what point um, do we say like, you know, when it comes to when we were, we're talking and, and maybe debating with individuals and they say, well, you reached this point of viability, um, does that change things, right? And how does it change things? Or is the, the mode still the same, right? So maybe if you could speak into that a little bit. I, yeah, I hear viability being the cutoff point for a lot of people of saying that they're okay with abortion up until the point of viability. And I think that their thought process makes sense, right? They're thinking, okay, up until then, they're so completely dependent on their mother that in the sense that you could deny someone a kidney transplant, you could deny the space of your uterus for this fetus, right, up until the point where they could live on their own. Um, so I understand the thought process, but I do think that it falls flat because viability is a very messy thing, right? So by viability, we just mean that they are able to live outside of their mother's womb. Um, and so viability changes a lot depending on where you live, how much money you have, um, the time period in which you live, right? Because it's all really based on medical technology. So for example, I have a cousin who lives in Australia and she ended up going into, yeah, uh, she ended up going into preterm labor, would have been like four or five years ago at this point when she was, I think like five months, it was very early, like unheard of here. I don't think her baby would have made it um, in Michigan anyways. Like you would have to travel for sure. But thankfully she lived close to a very, very like technologically savvy hospital, I guess. Um, and so he was in the NICU for months, several close calls. Like, And basically the only thing that they were able to do was induce labor um, because he wasn't going to survive um, if they tried to proceed with the pregnancy. So they delivered the baby and he was in the NICU for months and it was an awful time for her family. Um, but he survived and now he's a happy and healthy four-year-old, four or five-year-old. And I get to meet him for the first time in December, so I'm so excited. <laughs> no, no, we're my cousin, my other cousin, her sister is getting married in Wisconsin, and so we'll all be there for the wedding. So that's really exciting. Um, 
Yeah. So, so I think it's important to point out if you're going to use that as your metric, right? For if it's okay to end the life of, in your mind, some someone that could be a living human being, maybe they're not. You know, it's a very messy metric. You want something that's kind of cut and dry. Um, and that's another thing I use that some people will kind of just want to wash their hands of it and say it's a messy issue. You know, doesn't really pertain to me and. I try to push back on that by pointing out kind of like a Pascal's wager kind of thing, right? Um, With, okay, say you're driving late at night and it's dark. You think you see something in the middle of the road. You don't know if it's just that you're tired and seeing things, you're hallucinating, or if it's a human person. Like it could be really anything. could be trash or something in the middle of the road. You're probably going to slow down, right? Just because you think, there's the possibility that this is a human being, right? And so I'm not saying that it is just a possibility that a fetus in the womb is a human being. It absolutely is, right? But if in your mind you think that it there is the potential that it is a human being, then this is something that deserves a second look. So switching topics, because I'm, I'm not, I can't remember exactly the direction. Are you like the rest of your, are you kind of to the end of this, this, this kind of following? Okay. Um, but I, I want to throw this in there just because we're still talking really kind of about like a, in the womb, right? In development. Uh, what about um, if if during the ultrasounds, like maybe an ultrasound tech or the doctor notices there's a deformity, okay? Or maybe there's some genetic mutation or alteration, right? That's um, how, like, what would you... Like, how would you approach that, right? Uh, like, if there is something that they notice, there is something wrong developmentally with the child. Um, it, it, and obviously, like, the doctors may pr- propose and, and, like, terminating the pregnancy. Uh, and this is a very real thing, right? Uh, so, how, what would your encouragement be in approaching maybe that sort of topic, Yeah, that's something you definitely hear a lot. And I think it's important to note that the people who do bring this up are coming from a place of compassion. I think they're wrong in how they go about it. But um, I think the fear of suffering, we all have it, right? And we don't want someone else to suffer. And so typically I'll start by going back to those three premises, right? Of, okay, if you agree by the end of that, that they are living human beings, right? Then why should it matter if they're deformed or not, right? You wouldn't, if you had a deformed or um, disabled four-year-old, you would recognize it's not okay to end their life, right? Just because of their their deformity, that their, their life is still valuable. Um, and also that we're not valuable based on what we can do, but based on who we are. Um, and I think that's a really important point to note because I think almost everyone would agree with that and they wouldn't even really think that oh, that would pertain to a fetus in the womb. Um, another really important thing is that you're that they're essentially arguing that because they may suffer or that they will suffer when they're born, that that somehow justifies ending their life. Because some people will admit, yes, abortion takes a life. However, it's the better option, maybe in the case of severe health issues or, or birth defects or something like that. Um, and so the the point that I would make, and I'm just facepalmed. <laughs> so if you're you're basing the the reason why you're saying that it's justified to end the life of an innocent human being based on the suffering that they may have in the future, I think in a sense, this may seem kind of negative or pessimistic, but 
everyone suffers, right? So every fetus that has ever been in a womb, which is all of us, um, so <laughs> we all were, you know, there was unforeseen suffering ahead of us, right? And we recognize that as just a part of life. Um, and obviously some people suffer more than others for sure, but um, but does that justify? And also an immeasurable amount of suffering, right? Like there's no unit to define or measure how much suffering is this person going to have in the future that we can't even see? Um, how much suffering is enough to justify ending their life? Um, and I think a lot of people realize that, yeah, that's kind of a slippery and messy metric. So again, if you're agreeing or at least open to the prospect that they are living human beings, you you want to err to the side of caution, right? Um, and I think that a lot of people are open to that of realizing like, yeah, that is, that is kind of messy. Right. It, it, and it goes back to what, like what you said, like nobody knows what kind of suffering we're going to have in life. I mean, and, and suffering takes such different forms, right? I mean, I think uh, I'm, I'm reading a book right now on like Mother Angelica. Um, so because she was born and raised in, in Canton, Ohio, and that's my stomping grounds. And, uh, and so and actually, I was born at the same hospital that she received treatment for her stomach ailment. Isn't that great? Anyways, side note. <laughs> I just find these, just reading about it, I'm like, oh, I know where that's at. Um, but I mean, she had this awful stomach ailment, right? And like, she would, like, there's no way that you could foresee that happening, right? And you think of all of these great saints, it's like that suffered, every single saint suffered to some degree, right? And but yeah, we don't know. And so how do we, it's, it's more of a change of our mindset and how we view suffering versus, um, you know, like, oh, this is something bad, right? And I think of Job, right? Like read the book of Job, <laughs> which has been the office of readings for a while. So anyways, actually since the end of, since Pentecost, it's been the office of readings. So anyways, um, just that note on suffering is, you know, it's not bad. Rather, it's an opportunity for growth and communion with God, right? As we were talking about. And even still, while it is an excellent means of growth, right? I think it is a beautiful desire to want to mitigate the sufferings of others. But in doing so, you don't want to eliminate the sufferer, right? Like if you're eliminating the person instead of the problems that they're facing, I think that means that we we have failed to help in their suffering. So kind of switching gears a little bit, uh, something that is a very real thing and it's, it doesn't happen often at least well I mean it could and I'm just not aware of it but would be like ectopic pregnancies uh, I know that this can be a, a big moral thing right uh, but yet I know the church has a stance on it and um, so maybe talk to us about when this happens right maybe it is the mother that is experiencing it or it's somebody poses this question about ectopic pregnancies um, because we know that that's like a medical emergency. So what do we do in that situation? So actually, this is really interesting. So with the passing of Proposal 3 in Michigan this past, uh, what would have been? November. Um, well, I guess even before that, it would have been like May, June of last year. So about a year ago when the Supreme Court documents were leaked, um, that Roe was going to be overturned at the end of June, right? And we didn't know when it was going to happen. And they waited until like the absolute last minute of six years. But it was very exciting. Anyways, so <laughs> um, so on social media, it was, I saw a lot of people talking about how 
all sorts of just crazy things that had no basis in reality whatsoever. And one of the things I heard a lot was that women wouldn't be able to receive treatments for ectopic pregnancies anymore, which is very upsetting to me because, first of all, again, if we go back to defining abortion, and this is one of those areas where it can be difficult if we haven't defined what we meant by abortion, right? If we're talking about the direct and intentional killing of a fetus in the womb at any stage in pregnancy, we recognize that the only possible treatment for an ectopic pregnancy does not fit into that definition of of an abortion. So um, for those who maybe aren't aware, an ectopic pregnancy is essentially where um, an egg is fertilized. So an embryo is fertilized in a fallopian tube, um, which is not compatible with a growing fetus. So once it it reaches a certain point, um, the fallopian tube doesn't have much give to it. So um, it can rupture and cause pretty serious infections. Um, So it is, like Emma said, an absolute medical emergency. And unfortunately, we don't have technology to like transfer the embryo to the uterus. Um, That's just not possible, unfortunately. Um, That'd be really cool if we could do that someday. So you never know. Um, And so what happens in those cases is they remove the fallopian tube with the fetus inside um, to save the life of the mother. So they are by no means directly or intentionally killing that fetus. Um, And if there was a way to save that fetus, we absolutely would push for that. Absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, that's just not possible. And a lot of people will kind of use this as like a gotcha moment because we're okay with that, but we're obviously not okay with the direct and intentional killing of a fetus, right? And the difference may seem trivial, and I think I thought it was trivial for a while. Um, but I think the direct and intentional killing is actually a pretty big difference, right? If you are doing everything you can to to help that fetus and help the mother, but you're limited with just the resources that you have, the knowledge that you have, and it is absolutely a tragic situation. And I think that that is absolutely awful. Um, and so I think we all need to pray for for women who go through that because I can only imagine how how painful that must be. Um, not only just like grieving the loss of that child, but it's also a very invasive and and painful experience as well. Um, and it's just it's absolutely tragic. So. I hope that someday there's a way that we can better prevent this from happening. Um, and it definitely seems like there is a rise in these happening. And I, I think there's reason to believe that birth control is a part of that, which is maybe a different topic. Um, <laughs> I open a different can of worms. But, um, but yeah, it's awful. And I think that we need to recognize that that difference, while it may seem trivial, is actually really huge. Last, I would say probably the last, like, kind of subtopic um, and potentially probably one that uh, one that can can push buttons or can be a hot topic within this you know broader topic is that when rape occurs uh, because I hear people that they may say well I'm against abortion except for in the case of rape um, and it is a tragic it, I mean it's it's an absolute tragedy and, uh, that rape even occurs right uh, it, it's obviously we know that there's still life involved and so how would we approach this topic you know that can be very sensitive right I mean they all can be sensitive but especially you know this idea of rape uh, because it's very real so what would be the kind of the approach to that kind of topic 
Yeah, that's one that you definitely hear a lot, which again, I think it's important to recognize that people are trying to come from a place of compassion. And while I think they're wrong in the way they go about it, that's huge, right? If they have good intentions, then you can build off of that. Um, And so I'm still trying to find a way that's a good way to approach it because it is such an awful thing and you don't ever want to sound dismissive to the awful trauma of rape. Um, But like Emma said, we still have to focus on there are now two people involved, two victims really, right? Um, And so in that sense, in the case of a pregnancy that occurs as a result of a rape, we also have to have to look at you can't intentionally kill an innocent human being, right? If we agree on that that premise, um, and recognizing that the fetus wasn't the perpetrator of this event, right? They're an innocent third party, um, and so I, I think it's interesting, and I think a good way to to turn back is, okay, how about we instead ideally focusing on how do we prevent rape in the first place, right? Um, but again, not being dismissive that this does happen. Um, and I don't think that abortion will fix the trauma of a rape. And if anything, I think it's it's very invasive, even very early on. Um, like the abortion pills that that women can take at home is still very invasive and a very painful um, process. But um, I don't think that that justifies um, the killing of an innocent human being, right? And it doesn't reverse the trauma of rape, right? Um, so then women are left with the trauma of rape and the trauma of the abortion as well. Um, and there are a lot of stories of women who have experienced this and that their child was a positive way to direct their focus instead of focusing on the awful things that have happened to them. They can focus on something positive that came out of it and kind of like reclaiming it in a way. Um, yeah, yeah, something beautiful that came out of something absolutely awful. Um, and again, you it's hard to even bring that up. And I try to avoid even saying things like that because people can take that as being dismissive because surely there are women who feel no connection to their child whatsoever and it reminds them of that awful event, um, which is fair, right? But again, I don't think that we can or should accept um, the death of an innocent person somehow as a fix-all for for something else that happened that was tragic. And I think that just goes back to um, the dignity of a a person, like even how we view other adults, right? Um, And again, not like you said, not being dismissive of the actual, the absolute trauma, right? And just the the horrific events that, um, you know, rape can can be. Uh, But I think it goes back to um, as a society, reclaiming this human dignity right to the other person um and i think that alone can bring a lot of healing uh and how we then view a fetus in the womb right a baby right that that it is uh, a gift that all life is a gift right because you know i mean yeah a man and a woman can create can create life, but it's God that infuses the soul, right? And entrusting that even in a, a, a awful situation, that the Lord still ordained a person. That that I mean, you could sit with that, like, wow, okay, uh, something bigger is going on here, and trusting in that. Um, but again, that's that's 
it's a hard place and, and that a lot of healing needs to happen, right? Um, but the Lord can heal, right? I mean, like there is healing that can take place in, in all of that. So um, did you have anything else? Yeah, no, I think that's a, a good place to leave it. And I, I think like Emma was saying that the circumstances of our conception doesn't determine our value, right? So even a a child that was conceived in rape in an awful, violent way of um, being brought into the world. And we recognize that as tragic, but recognizing, like Emma said, that God had intentionally willed, it, not just passively, he intentionally willed for this person to exist um, from all eternity. He He wanted this person to live in the world at that particular time. Um, and also compared to, say, a child who was conceived in a loving family, right? That those two people are equally living, equally human, have equal dignity, um, and equal right to, to live. So, all right. I think we've, uh, we've hit some pretty deep topics. So, uh, probably should, should should leave it just as at that. But um, I think all of what we, we talked about is vitally important um, and something to take to prayer, right? Uh, and uh, we, we don't take the stance of coming off as dismissive, um, but this is something that is, uh, it reflects the dignity of, of the human being, right? And ultimately it reflects the image of God, right? Is um, who who we are as persons, right? As individual people, but then called to communion, right? To live with one another and promote life and to, to give life, right? And so uh, just, yeah, we just wanted an opportunity to, to talk about some of these, these topics, because as Madison mentioned, proposal three in Michigan, um, tragedy, (laughs) Uh, and, and we haven't even seen the beginning of what this could unfold as, right? And so it's educating. How can we dialogue with one another, um, not to be diminishing, uh, but to to enlighten, right? To educate uh, and entrust everything to the sacred heart of our Lord, uh, entrusting that he will lead and guide uh, to shed, shedding his mercy and love upon every human being. And so just some hopefully helpful tips of how to engage in dialogue, but then also maybe some things to take to prayer as well. Um, because maybe something pushed a button in your heart that may be needing to, to pray with, and that's okay. That's a good sign that the Lord is working and the Lord uh, loves you, loves each of us, uh, and, and loves every little tiny person in utero or out of utero, right? And so, so anyways, Madison, Thank you for joining us. And I almost forgot the one choice. So, and I totally forgot to, to even think about one, the one choice. So yeah, you got to think, do you have one? I have one. Okay. Well then I'll let you go first. I, uh, I got together with one of my aunts last night. We had dinner together and it was so much fun. So, I mean, we see each other all the time, but we don't hang out one-on-one that much. So it was like, it's been a while. So it's just always fun to just hang out. It's a good time. That's good. <laughs> Uh, one joy for me, I, last weekend, so the weekend of Pentecost, I uh, was on Pentecost Sunday, drove up to um, East Tawas to visit with some friends at their cabin and was able to walk on the beach. It was a little chilly, but it was beautiful. The water was beautiful. So it was nice to just get away and visit and uh, chat and eat some good hamburgers. And 
uh, yeah, just enjoy the sun. So it was nice to just have a day away in East Tawas because I don't get around that much. I really don't. So, um, so yeah, I would say that that's my one joy. Uh, and I know that the couple that I visited, I know they live or they, they live. Wow. They listen to the podcast, but, uh, so they'll know who I'm talking about. But anyways, um, yeah, that's my one joy. We don't have Father Kevin with us today because I don't know why. Well, it's first Saturday, so he probably has mass and things like that. Um, and Mary-Kate, as I mentioned. So pray for uh, Mary-Kate and her family. Um, like I said, everything will be fine, but just, you know, motherhood um, at its finest. So anyways, uh, yeah, we'll close with a glory be. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Sacred Heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, know that we are praying for you, and check us out on all of the major podcasting apps. Um, let me check my not check my knowledge here. Uh, we are on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and that might be it. I don't know. Anyways, you can find us on all the major apps. Like us, you know, share us with your friends and all of that jazz. Tell people that, uh, yeah, we bring you joy because, haha, cause of joy or cause of joy. Cause for joy. I don't even know the name of our vibe. Wow. Anyways, okay, with that, God bless.